Welcome to today's episode of the Fit to Lead podcast. With me today is CEO and founder of AHA Healing Incorporated, Janice Taylor. She is a tech founder, entrepreneur, mental health, and online safety advocate. Her credo of kindness, acceptance, and a genuine compassion for her fellow human beings drives a vision of her entrepreneurial enterprises. Over the past 25 years of study, Janice has developed an innovative modality to how people heal from early trauma pain points. This practice of healing has been perfected across thousands of clients where clients transform pain into purpose. As an entrepreneur and mother of two beautiful girls, Janice's mission is to awaken people with love by decoding our pain into our purpose. She believes all human beings have a unique story to tell and aha, waiting to be birthed. I love that. Welcome Janice, thank you for joining me. Thank you. That's an amazing intro. When you say it out loud like that, thank you. I appreciate that. As I said, I got more. I get more and more excited. Like I, I can't <laughs> wait to hear this story because it just sounds amazing. So tell me how it all began and how you got to where you are today. Oh my gosh, what a journey, right? I think for anybody, if you trace back your roots, you go, when did this really start? You know, sometimes we say, oh, it started in university. I jokingly say that mine started 40 years ago and I was put in my first program for at-risk youth. At the time, my dad was an addict. My mom was struggling to pay the bills and, you know, we were really kids of the streets in many cases. And so the first program in Canada, I'm Canadian, they said, oh, well, we've got to prevent what's going to happen to this child. And so they put me into Alateen was my first program. And that really started this legacy of learning, I want to say for me, sometimes as myself as the test subject. And then ultimately, when I was writing my degree in psychology, I kept writing on the back of the paper saying, you know, part of this theory works, but this doesn't work if you're hungry. This doesn't work when you're a little kid who's scared. This doesn't work necessarily for people of color. There was so many other components of the theory I thought was missing. And I thought, that much of what we were doing with these quote unquote symptoms and then giving this diagnosis just was missing such a big part of the picture. So my professor said, why don't you go write your own theory? You disagree with everything that we say. And I think at the time I, I was so fixated in my own pain that I had been poor. And I was like, I got to get a job. Like professors don't make much money is what I thought as a kid. You know, I was like, <laughs> you guys are poor and I've been poor too long. And I went into pharmaceuticals and that really started another 10 year decade in pharmaceuticals. And then I just spent 10 years, well, actually now 14 years in the tech industry. So I feel like I've studied this idea of emotional pain from different viewpoints. One from my most raw growing up in it, from the pharmaceutical industry, how do we medicate pain away? Then in the tech industry, how do we numb it with these social media platforms and much of how the technology is designed? And so that really began this 30 year journey, writing my own theory, ultimately wanting to ask the question, how do we heal from our pain? And more, I wanted to change how we viewed it. This idea of once an addict, always an addict. Oh, you'll always be healing. I thought, man, this feels so fatalistic. Like yeah. maybe in some cases this is true, but is this always true? Like, isn't there more to be said about this data? When I, when you mentioned decoding, I'm like, we, we really can decode our pain and we can move it into purpose. And so I wanted to write a formula. I wanted to write a process and a practice and I wanted to write a modality. And so all of that took 25 years. Wow. Wow. So with all that said, all of you that you've done, how does emotional pain show up for us in our lives? You know, I know, you know, in families of addicts, it might show up differently than maybe you have quote unquote, a normal 
like, you know, yeah. the typical family. You know, this is what I think has been so profound about the study. And I would meet people. They were like, no, my childhood was fine. My parents are still married. So when we think of trauma, I think it's first for us to understand that it's just a break in the spirit. We call this the psychic wound. It doesn't necessarily mean it was blunt force and abuse and addiction and extreme poverty. It's really the belief that you wake up one day and say, well, maybe this world isn't about love. And I, and I'm kind of afraid of it. And I'm going to start to change myself or morph myself or not be who I really want to be. That's actually the truer definition of a wound or, or what we would say trauma or pain. It means you tucked away a part of yourself and showed up in the world differently because you believed this ego voice, so to speak, that would say, well, you should be afraid. And so emotional pain, when we think about it, shows up most predominantly, I would say right now in loneliness, disconnection, melancholy. There's a new terminology in the United States called death of despair, which affects, you know, again, those workers that feel displaced. And then we see that in higher incidence of alcohol and drug use. We see more physical manifestations now more than ever. People are unhealthier. Obesity rates are rising. And then you look at our, our kids that are growing up in a social media world. You know, we look at the decrease of empathy and compassion. And so I also see that in the woundedness where we've stopped to really look at each other as friends, as people who share a common, you know, feeling and compassion. And so when all of these things sort of compiled on it, when you look at the core root is which I wanted to study, you see a society in pain, emotional pain. Mm -hmm. And we've transferred that into this conversation around mental health. And that's certainly important, but mental, when we think about it is in our head is the mental states, the constructs of that. I want to talk about the emotional pain, the emotional roots, because I feel unless you address the roots, you know, I said, it's a bandaid on a gorge. You can throw so much at the head, but yeah. if the root is still, still wounded, it won't take. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So then talk to me a little bit about what is the thesis of AHA healing centers and how did you come to like create this, this special place? Well, we do have to give mad love to Oprah because, you know, I did uh, end up going to the Oprah show when I first launched my tech company. But when I was a kid, Oprah would say, you know, have your aha moment. Now, at the time, I thought she said ahava. Um, I didn't know that word. There was no Google in the 80s when I was watching Oprah, <laughs> which it now turned out that ahava means love is the Hebrew word for love. And I, when she said, have an aha moment, I was like in pain as a, as a young teenager, young girl. And I was like, great, where do I order one? Is there a catalog? Yes. Like, how do I have an aha? Like, sign, me up. <laughs> sign me up. And it felt at the time, like, oh, it's just lightning in the bull in a, in a bottle. It's random. And I thought, well, what if I could actually figure out a, where they're stored in our body B how do we pluck it out and look at it? See, how do we manifest and take this pain data that's born to us and transfer it over into the purpose side of our life? What if all the pain data that we experience, actually, if we looked at it like a battery, if we looked at it like a battery, I say the battery is the best thing invention in the world. Because if you look at a double A battery, it's got a positive end and a negative end. And if one of those ends aren't connected properly, it won't work. It doesn't send the charge. And I thought, well, if we have pain, we must also have purpose at the same moment in time. So if we avoid our most emotional pain points of our early life, usually before our 10th birthday, which is our thesis, we then avoid our purpose our whole life. 
because we're missing critical data. So why do we choose the data before our 10th birthday? That is typically data you have never picked, meaning you don't pick your parents, your hair color, your eye color. You don't pick your first grade teacher. You don't pick the street, the school, the color, the number of the house. You don't often pick your siblings. There's so many things about those early experiences that you don't pick. So therefore it must be the purest data that you own. It must be data that is given to you. And if it is given to you, even if it's painful, it means it must have the other end of the battery because it's only data that you didn't pick. Now, after your 10th birthday, once you've decided to change who you are and how you show up because of pain, isn't always data that we can trust mm. because we're operating from a different playbook now. Now we're not operating necessarily from the true self. Are we operating from pain? And so what I discovered after all these years of research is that most people will stay in what I say, the dark side of the moon, the pain side of their being in the upwards between 30 and 40 years before they decide to actually figure out what that is ailing inside of them. And I say they take the walk towards their purpose side of life and they ultimately get stuck on a bridge, one foot in the past of this pain and one foot knowing they have a purpose, but not knowing how to get there. And I'm like, we don't have a map and we don't have a toolbox for this side of the moon and we don't know how to read this data. So those are the tools I wanted to make in order to do that with a certainty. So about 99.9% .9 of the time, we know within the first hour and a half what that person was always meant to be and do with their life. Wow, that's amazing. It so, is amazing. I'm like, oh, just it's enthralling. As you're talking, I'm like hanging on every word. I'm like, it's just fascinating to me. So then tell me a little bit about if someone signs up, joins, visits, gets involved with the AHA Healing Center. What, is, what does that look like? What could they expect to like happen? And on the flip side, is there anything we could do, like action items, like I listen to this, I'm like, all right, I wanna do something like right now to help myself. So those are kind yes. of the two like double questions. Okay, so first of all, the one thing I will say in the study is that I studied relapse rates. Since you've been in fitness, mm -hmm. I, I look at that as a relapse rate. Did they complete the goal? You know, oftentimes we start diets and we don't finish them or we start a fitness path and we don't finish them. If you look at sort of any of the relapse rates, how do why do we keep bouncing back to an old pattern? Why are these so hard to remove out of the being? So I studied relapse rates specifically and I'm like, oh, well, when we look at relapse rates, even in the addiction communities, we say, well, they don't really know what they're meant to be and do. So the very first step of Ahava, there are 12 over three phases, is the calling. And this also is loosely based on, on the hero's journey. And the very first step of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey is the calling. What is this person always meant to be and do? Now, most people try to make that decision with their head, which I, mm -hmm. I always say it's stinking thinking. You're stinking <laughs> thinking. It's not going to tell you the information you need. But if every person has a buried black block box, like all that data from before your 10th birthday, if I open that box and I plot it onto a whiteboard on the magic whiteboard, what does the data say from the soul side of the moon, from the light side of the moon? Does it tell me my coordinates? Does it tell me that I love to draw, that I love to paint? Does it tell me that I triangulated in my pain with my mother and my older sister? Does it tell me that I moved into my codependent triangle? So why this is so important to understand is that whoever you have quote unquote triangulated with, meaning you felt that they prevented you from receiving love and belonging, something about them 
made you not show up how you wanted. So we blame and shame mm -hmm. those early people in our experiences. However, a codependent triangle on your pain side means on your purpose side, you have a golden triangle, which means your golden triangle is really your Bermuda triangle. It is everything inside of there that will tell you all of the details of your calling. So I'll, I'll give you a real life example. Someone comes to me, they immediately tell me that their baby sister was born three years after and they hated them. It's like, I've got an older sister, then it was me and I got a younger sister. And she arrived into the world and my mom went, oh my God, I love this little sister. And everything became about the little sister. So I say, well, what year? And they say three. So we know already that because of even a birth of a child, that that person started to see this world differently. What? My mom's not paying attention to me now. Like, oh my God, there's this person in the world. And so continues throughout their life, this story that they've told themselves, that this younger person's getting all the attention and all the love meaning they see that they took that love away. Now, if we actually look at that, so we know, say they're born in 1975, we know that potentially one of their pain points, which they have three, one of their pain points is 1978. Mm. Now let's say they live in New York City. So now they know, okay, so they have, we have one date. We know that they were born in New York City, a place they didn't pick. We know that they were affected at three years old by the birth of their sister. And let's say her name is Polly. And Polly becomes part of this inner dialogue for this person in the middle. But then they look at their parents and they say, well, my dad worked all the time. So I was left with mom. I never saw my dad growing up because all he did was work. So we find out why the dad always wanted to work. So what happened to him before his 10th birthday? So once we find out what happened to her dad before his 10th birthday and the mother before her 10th birthday, she has her two other corresponding dates of her golden triangle. So now she's got three dates. So now she finds out that her parents immigrated from Italy when they were five. So now we know that they changed locations. So a part of the broken psyche of the spirit One's left in Italy. Oh my God, we're living in a new country. We're going to the United States. And let's say that that year was 1945. So now we have 1978 and 1945. Then we get her third data. So already in the golden triangle, we know that she loved to draw. She loved to paint. Um, she interviews her parents. She find out what they were like as kids. And before you know it, an entire calling picture has come forward. And so from that, it ends up actually allowing us to really read real data. So for someone at home, once they find their three dates, first thing we tell them to do is you need to live in those dates for two weeks. So the first thing is you need to make a playlist of music all from those dates. And you need to throw in some Italian and what was going on in New York. And then you're looking for books and movies and plays and what was going on in the news. So then we found out that, you know, that her little sister that she despised passed away. So now we know that, oh, okay, there's some pain here. Initially, she thought her sister took her from pain, and now her sister's no longer here. So now we really start to discover that there is a pain point attached to Polly. So now we're able to really see is, well, how do people deal with loss? So now we see that potentially the pain is potentially an area of where she's supposed to solve. And where she's supposed to bring light and love and potentially where she's supposed to work. And maybe wow. it's a book, maybe it's a movie, maybe it's a picture. And so when someone comes to see us through aha, we find the aha. And that is always the aha. 
And, uh, and within an hour and a half, it gives us all these miraculous details. What usually happens, step two, is the refusal. So that's where they start to say, well, I can't write. Oh, I don't care about Polly. No, that can't possibly be it. And so you see them just catastrophically go through <laughs> all the reasons why this can't happen. But hence the 12 steps of Ahava. We move them until the idea is actually birthed. So we really focus and, and think of emotional healing like fitness. You hit it, you hit it hard. This is the plan. This is daily. This is how we live in it. This is how we move. And it's really two wheels at once. So while you're healing, you should still be birthing the idea, the calling. You don't stop, start. See, people always say, I've got to heal first. And then once I'm done, I'll figure out what I'm going to do with my life. But actually, because of that, that's why we have relapse rates. Because people don't know what they were always meant to be. And you need that. Well, you know, you've been through competitions. You need to know, like, what's the end of this road with this? Like, where am I going? What stage am I on? What am I? And if you don't have that in the purview, it's very hard. Now, prior to this, most people have never done that in emotional healing. They've just said, oh, go heal. Well, well what does that mean? <laughs> and where? Yeah. yeah. And And I think that that... For me, because I'm also a tech founder, I was like, we need some process in this. Yeah. Um, we need to have a map in this. The final thing I'll say is that both building a purpose and also pain both have systems. So there's actually a system when you experience emotional pain that actually starts to get a cascade. And that's what I studied the most. So we try to look at one aspect of it. Well, let's just say positive things to ourselves and we can change how we really feel. Let's do affirmations. But actually, unless you address emotional pain from a system perspective, because there's three things that happen in emotional pain that landlocks you in your pain, we only a system of process can actually solve it. So we need to think about this more in a system theory rather than just isolated events that serve a diagnosis. And in some cases, there is a psychopathology that goes with that emotional trauma point, of course, and there's very good places for that. Someone may have from trauma, a borderline um, personality disorder. Somebody may have some of those, but most of us fall in the, in the normal distribution curve, which is we just feel stuck. Like we don't feel like we're doing what we were meant to do. And we feel like we need to change, but we don't really know how to change. And, and that's really more of the feeling that we we tend to look at. Interesting. So when you talk about the magic whiteboard and you're, you're talking about all the different things you guys do, so is it all technology-based? Is it interviews? Is it a combination? Like, how does that work? It's a combination. So in the first phase of Ahavet's discovery, so we do the magic whiteboard with a healer that will read your data. Hopefully in the future, we'll be able to do that in an automated way. Right now, someone does actually work with you. So there are healers that are training right now to become AHA healers. So we have a school of people who are interested in becoming one of our healers and doing this process. They can come into our AHA healing school. There is our tech platform that launches in April for this as well that will support both the coaches and also the healers and also the community. The other part of it is we really pull from different modalities at different points of time. So especially in phase two of Ahava, we believe in immersive healing. So if you were the director of the movie, and this is the hero that is going on this journey, perhaps they need to learn how to swim. 
maybe they need to do a cannonball in a frozen river that's very cold and do a penguin dip. We look at it more from an immersive way in terms of healing and moving pain and trauma out of the body. And so in phase one, it's, it's a lot more of an inner work. In phase two, it's very immersive. So do they need, you know, a sound bath? Do they need a forest bath? Do they need Reiki? We look at other modalities that really help move pain out of the body. In phase three of Ahava, which is homecoming, it's now pen to paper time. It's time to write the manuscript, if that's the book. It's time to actually start to do it. So we may have them practice pitching. We may put them through different exercises around building the actual idea. And so that the calling now comes fully into fruition. And then they also amalgamate back into their other relationships. There is a time period they need to suspend some of the relationships that they've had because of the in-depth codependency um, that goes with emotional pain. And right now our culture is very much addicted to the codependent wheel of that drama triangle. So we need opportunities to sort of detox from that. Um, but really we sort of look at it from a very creative point of view. So I've had clients do everything from grade three math because they were told they could never do math to, <laughs> to literally standing on stage and doing open mics. Wow. Um, so, you know, it really does depend on the training of what that person wants to birth into the world with their calling and how we heal at the same time. So we try to combine both so that the feelings that come through is the light is coming in as the dark is um, leaving. That is so cool. Ah, I love all of it. So, so thinking through like everything that we just talked about, I would love to know for, for you personally, like in your self-care, how you take care of yourself, maybe it's your healing journey. Like, is there a non-negotiable for you that you like every day are like, oh, I have to do X? You know, I really don't try to see any human beings before like 930 every morning. Um, and I think it's apart from my husband and children when they leave, I really believe that people need to have time with themselves. So I like to quiet my world into journal, into prayer. They're really, you know, that sort of, I always say you need to ready the soil for the day, um, which means I have to pluck out what isn't there and to really ready the soil so I can be my most available present self in the moment. And I can't do that if I'm still carrying from yeah. the day before. And so anything to shed, so exercise, prayer, meditation, writing, like that's really my alone time. Um, you know, my day starts at six, but I believe in at least three hours where people are just alone, you know, that are just not around answering questions, answering emails. And I can tell when I've betrayed that in myself. And, and then I can see that I have, I'm not always in my best self afterwards. I love that. And I, I believe, I love, I love that saying, like, you know, priming this, I am a firm believer in that as well. So I'm like, don't look at me, talk to me until like at least two hours of, like you said, yeah. alone time, contemplation, exercise, all the things. So I love that. That's, that is a good one. That is a great life hack that I think more people should, mm -hmm. I know a lot of people are very keen on sleeping in, getting the most amount of sleep and sleep is important, but I, uh, I love that one. That's a great one. So any recent or favorite books or podcasts? that you would recommend? You know, I always recommend this book for everything. And it is for me, I, I think the Bible of, you know, living a meaningful life, I, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, I think, you know, just really sort of crystallizes, not only because I think logotherapy is really interesting, because I also just think that, you know, really, when we start to take stock of who we are, and our capacity 
And just having that radical sense of ownership, even in our most darkest moments, I think is a real key lesson for all of us. So it's like literally my, my favorite, favorite, favorite book. My life hack is I don't do laundry. Why, why, why? <laughs> I don't do it. I did marry a wonderful human being that quite loves laundry. Um, and I'm like, great. Our first date was like, how do you feel about laundry? <laughs> I was like, if this union's going to go forward, we're going to have to come to some sense of agreement because either I have to hire someone to do the laundry or you're just going to have to be really good at it. And he says, I love, he's an, he's an architect. So he likes things very properly folded. So my best life hack is like, know what you do best and hire the rest or marry the rest, you know, like just yes. total separate. Uh, that <laughs> is so, so my, my equivalent is I do not cook. I was like, so like, if you're going to marry me, just know I will not be cooking for you <laughs> ever. <laughs> I know how to cook. I choose not to. <laughs> yes. I know how to do laundry. I get it. I get it's an important function. Yep. Um, and I get it's necessary, just like food. It's just not yep. my jam. Yeah. I just and my husband, he puts on his music, his meditations, and he folds laundry. And I can hear him whistling in the laundry room. Like it's his own little temple of stuff in there. And I'm like, great. And, and that's his jam. And that's right. And uh, and that's how I feel. Like my husband loves to cook. I'm like, that's awesome. Because otherwise we would starve if we married and both of us should like to cook. <laughs> we really don't think that everybody has to be good at everything. It's yeah, like, so oh, I love really? that. I love it. I love it. So I would love to wrap up by you sharing where people can connect with you, learn okay. more about the healing centers, all the things. I, I just, I totally enjoyed everything we talked about. So share away. Thank you. Yes. Okay. So people can come to ahahealing.com. So that's A-H-H-A. So we have two H's, healing.com. They can come there. They can find out if they'd like to become a coach, um, they can sign up. We have our second cohort starting in a month's time. So they can be trained in the modality and then offer it in their physical neighborhoods. If they are looking for healing, they can come and already sign up with myself or one of our healers and have a magical whiteboard. I always say to everyone, if you are stuck or feeling like you know there's something more in the world for you, but you don't know what it is, come to AHA Healing because within an hour and a half, two hours, we can crack it open and we can unlock the gift. I love that. Thank you, Janice, so much for joining me today. It was a blast learning about you and Thank AHA you. Healing. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. If you're ready to feel good in your own skin and feel like you could use some help, please let me know. I have a couple spots open in my Fit to Lead VIP one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, and during that, you'll learn how to eat foods you love with minimal exercise to get the body that you've dreamed of. So visit me at www.allisonjacksonfitness.com to learn more and learn how I could help you feel better in your own skin.